0: Religion when traveling Where do we draw the line? My take on the female Israeli journalist Who is accusing from Jews Of being holier than thou. While Bradley Cooper's nose is quite perfect The way it is His schnoz as Leonard Bernstein Is sparking an online debate Are we taking this anti-Semitism spiel A little too far? And she's on a mission to teach Am Yisrael The importance of purity One cup at a time Orly Waba is here from the Tila Inc. And this is the Weekly Squeeze, but you know that. Episode 132. I'm your talented and lovely host, Hanala Music, coming at you from the land of Israel, where the weather has been consistently hot, and will continue to be consistently hot without any temperature variations for the next about four to six weeks. Baruch Hashem. It is summertime here in Israel, and I am enjoying the early mornings and the late evenings with my dog, with my kids, because you know what? I don't have time for anything else except to enjoy my life because I am so busy with my morning routine that it's pretty much taken over my whole day. Now, if the words morning routine strike a fear in your heart, well, that's because your morning routine has probably grown as mine has as I get older. I mean, when I was young, and that was pretty much up until a few years ago, I would just get up in the morning and get on with it. Like, you know, quickly brush my teeth, quickly splash some water on my face, throw my hair in a ponytail, throw something on, walk out the door, breathe, go live, learn. And yeah, eventually go back to sleep when you're tired, but then wake up and just get on with it. But now, now, well, now we live in 2023. And if you don't have a morning routine that's at least 15 steps long are you even taking care of your emotional health at all? Like, are you even considering the emotional, mental, physiological, physical, and spiritual implications of your laziness? No, probably not. So that's why my list is, one second, two pages long. <laughs> I wrote everything down because I was thinking about it this week as I, as I was talking to my mother and complaining that my morning routine is just taking over all, of, all about everything, like all the time that I want to be just chilling on my phone. I'm not going to lie. Who doesn't just want a cup of hot coffee with your feet up, maybe in a foot massage machine that you happen to have? Scrolling on Instagram, watching an endless supply, an endless amount of heartwarming and hysterical video clips. It's just joyful. Like joy is not getting up. I mean, this is my list. Okay. I'm finding the joy in all of it, but I'm trying to figure out why we can't just accept that getting up, sitting on the couch, putting our feet up and drinking a cup of coffee. That's, that's where it's at. Instead, this is what we're doing. Okay. So you wake up in the morning, you immediately wash your hands. I mean, that's not negotiable. That's automatic. I don't function. I wash. Then you say modani. Then I just do a quick face check. Because, you know, you never know what might have appeared overnight that you need to take care of before you leave your bathroom. (laughs) Um, I actually do something called a high five where I smile at myself and I give myself a high five. That's something I learned from Mel Robbins. It was so simple. Out of all the self-help tips I've ever been given, this is literally the simplest one. You just look in the mirror, you make eye contact, and you give yourself a high five. And you smile because it's ridiculous. But who doesn't enjoy a high five? And slowly but surely it just becomes your routine. Okay. High five. Then you brush and you floss and you mouthwash. I don't want to miss a step. I don't want anyone blaming me for the state of affairs in my mouth. I'm doing the best I can to keep my teeth in my jaw. Okay. Moisturize, sunscreen. Then I have a spot remover that I got in Walgreens for like $10 and it works great. And I put it on my big freckles and I hope for the best. Uh, say brachis like that is just you know that is the first thing we do once we get out of the bathroom we wash our hands we say and we say the blessings and these blessings are beautiful i mean just saying them makes you grateful and reminds you of everything that you could not have this morning it's a beautiful thing and i love brachis in a household like when a husband is saying them and when the kids are saying them and everyone's responding i mean it's a beautiful thing My husband is very enthusiastic about saying his brachas out loud. Shalom, asani, isha, loud every single morning. And everyone says, amen. And you know what? I appreciate it. And I think about that blessing at that moment and recognize how lucky Hitaka is not to be a woman. Because I work so hard as a woman, as a Jewish woman who doesn't get up in the morning and just puts her feet up and scrolls on Instagram. Instead, going back to my list, this is what I do. I write in my gratitude journal five things that I'm grateful for just five things that's it now at this point i'm definitely thinking about a cup of coffee but i'm not going to have one instead i'm going to have lemon water which i hate because i hate lemons with a straw because i don't want to ruin the beautiful teeth that i've been preserving with the acid so i'm going to drink the lemon water cringing and making faces the entire time questioning my life choices then when i'm done the lemon water you're going to think okay time to eat nope not yet first we are going to stretch Now, my mother has been on a crusade to get me to drink more and stretch everyone. Like if you call my mother now for a wash and set, she'll want to discuss if you stretch. And if you don't, boy, oh boy. (laughs) So she sends this video on our family chat. She's like, if you don't stretch every single day for 15 minutes, you are going to end up suffering and it's going to be awful all because you didn't stretch. So I've been stretching hating every single second of it, which is ironic because stretching looks fun. Like you're watching it and you're like, like, this is an exercise I can get behind. And then you start doing it and everything starts hurting. And you're like, stretching is the worst. Like now I know I always skip it. But the fact of the matter is that if you are skipping stretching, your muscles are only going to get tighter and your limbs are only going to get more locked up. And as you get older, those things don't get looser. They get tighter. Sometimes they do get looser and then you have to get them tight again. And The bottom line is you want to take care and stretch every single day. Get a YouTube video. Get it done. That should be in your morning list. So by now it's like 5.45 a.m. Oh, I forgot to mention I get up at 5. Okay. I'm done my stretching. Then, of course, I have to drink a lot of water, which means that I always have to make sure I have a water bottle, which means I should probably not have children because children lose water bottles. Like their life depends on it. They literally just lose water bottles constantly constantly. I have bought so many water bottles in my life as a parent, in my career as a parent. Every single type, every single style, every single price range, you name it, I've bought it from the Adidas ones to the ones that have plastic that will probably kill my kids. I've bought them all. I'm constantly buying water bottles, but you know, they're constantly losing them. So that becomes a challenge in and of itself. Drink my water. How much water? How much water? So much water that if you're not drinking constantly, you're not doing it right. Morning, noon, and night. You're either drinking from the bottle, refilling the bottle, refrigerating the bottle, washing the bottle, going to the bathroom, or drinking. That's how much water you need to drink. Now, I have a dog. So that means there is a dog waiting to be taken care of. So I have to defrost her dog food, which I do first thing in the morning. And then I have to throw up a load of laundry because what kind of mother gets up in the morning... And doesn't throw up a load of laundry. So I immediately throw up a load of laundry as part of my morning routine, right? At this point, I'm already like, okay, enough. I I need a cup of coffee. So I'm making my cup of coffee and it's time to walk the dog. Yep, I get out of my house and I walk no matter what for 45 minutes. I walk all the way up the steps to Beit Shemesh's park through my neighborhood, all the way to the top of Beit Shemesh and then I walk down through the park in the mud, in the dew, in the grossness, (laughs) that is an Israeli summer morning after hundreds of Haredim have spent the day hanging out with their kids. I walk my dog, I come home, I wash her paws, I wash the porch, because the porch is her, you know, her space. So we're like at 7.30. At this point, you know, take a shower. Obviously, if I even think about davening, that would be amazing. But if I did, now would be the time, a quick 10-minute davening. Then my kids get up. Okay, now it's 8 a.m. and my two youngest get up and I have to help them with their morning routines. Okay, now we're doing their morning routines and what kind of mother doesn't instill in her children a good morning routine? So I'm busy. Brush your teeth, wash Nagawasser put on your kippah, put on your titsis, clean your glasses, put your stuff away, take your wet laundry off the bathroom floor. You know, just take your vitamins because I bought Uncle Mashi vitamins and you're going to take them. I'm looking at my list. It's all here. So, as you can see, I am very, very busy. But despite all that, I'm here in front of my computer recording the weekly squeeze because I just love it. And there are so many things that I have an opinion on. And you, my friend, are going to hear it. But first, this week's episode of the weekly squeeze has been brought to you by Queen Tulsi's Daily Stress Relief Herbal Supplements. That's a mouthful, but the pills aren't. They're two green capsules that you pop into your mouth every single morning and you will start feeling just calmer, better, more relaxed, more chill, more zen, more in tune with reality and less in tune with your anxiety. All of this 100% kosher. Queen Tulsi is a natural supplement that will create a sense of inner calm. It'll help you handle stress better. It'll boost your mood and a boost of great skin because it contains antioxidants for clear and glowing skin. And who doesn't want that? So you're going to look great and you're going to feel great. The only kosher supplement to help calm daily stress, balance PMS and perimenopause symptoms and moods, and support healthy skin and vitality. CarolineBassHealth.com. Jot it down and order it today. It has nothing synthetic in it. It's just five natural herbs that work perfectly to create calm. Nothing artificial. It's safe, natural, and effective stress relief. You're welcome. You deserve to feel like a queen. You, your mother, your sister, your aunt. Everyone should be on Queen Tulsi. It's carolinebasshealth.com. Spell it like you hear it. Use code QUEENHALA for 15% off your bottles of Queen Tulsi. By the way, vitamins are part of my morning routine. I realized that as I was recording the ad, I'm like, I forgot to say vitamins. So yes, I take vitamins. All right. Let's talk about the news or rather the nose that everybody's talking about. Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper is an actor, a very successful, good looking and talented actor who is making headlines for wearing a prosthetic nose in his rendition or in his portrayal of Leonard Bernstein. Now I am embarrassed to say that i don't know much about leonard bernstein i know i'm a music person and i should and i'm getting increasingly more embarrassed as i actually say this out loud he but i don't know i i just didn't know much about leonard bernstein i'm sure my grandmother does and i'm sure my mother does my grandmother used to listen to a tremendous amount of classical music as a matter of fact she until this day can listen to a piece and say who the conductor is that's how well she knows classical music But I didn't. I never got into it specifically. And I'm generally terrible with names. And I would be lying to you if I told you I knew exactly who Leonard Bernstein is. I sometimes mix up Avril Freed and Benny Friedman. Sometimes. Rarely. But, you know. Anyway, so as it turns out, he was an American composer, a conductor, a pianist, a music educator, and a very, very influential figure in the world of classical music, including conducting and composing The West Side Story. He wrote the score for The West Side Story, which is based on Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, and features a fusion of classical music and jazz elements. Now, I never saw The West Side Story. I didn't grow up in New York. I've been to a handful of musicals. I don't love theater. I rarely have this it's flesh for theater, and I've discussed this on the show. I, I don't know if you can call it a play theater, but in general, I just, I love concerts. I don't love theater. So I never saw The West Side Story. I know it's also a movie. Never saw that movie. I couldn't even tell you what that sounds like. Maybe if I heard it. In any case, he was also an educator and he fought for more people to know about classical music. He had a televised lecture called The Young People's Concerts, where I don't know anything about this. I don't remember any of this, but you know, These are the facts, and there's a movie in Hollywood now about him, so he must have been important. He played piano beautifully, and if I had done more research and more homework, and if I wasn't so busy with my morning routine, I probably would have looked that up on YouTube. I just realized now I probably should have looked all of this up on YouTube. Hang on, guys. I'm going to share some clips. It's not Sphere, right? Let's look up what this guy did and what he's famous for. I have a recording studio. It's just no sweat off my back.
1: Get it out. Rüdiger Schwab. Triangle
0: Lessons with Leonard Bernstein.
1: We have a new member of the orchestra. Rüdiger's playing. So we have two triangles. Now, let me hear from two triangles. One. No, it has to be The same rhythm that they've been playing. Everybody plays so well. One. It's better, it's a little better. Should really be 15 triangles, going it up, but we can't do. We're lucky to have two. Can <clears throat> you make it somehow more rhythmic so it's not just a clink? So it's it up. I don't know where. But we play higher on the triangle and it up. I'm not a triangle specialist. But one. No, it sounds like a doorbell. I mean. It's just, <laughs> be anything it yeah. up I don't know how to tell you to do it but do it fun yeah it's worse. <laughs> it's worse well congratulations uh, okay where are we
0: all right he sounds like a great guy and we are just getting started <laughs> You are coming with me now down the Leonard. Bernstein rabbit hole all right so this is America from West Side Story it's a behind the scenes clip directed by Steven Spielberg and this is a scoring session of Leonard Bernstein's classic America all right I don't recognize this but it's beautiful I know some of you are like, how do you not know this? I just don't. Sue me. In any case, what I do know is that Leonard Bernstein, um, he was here in Israel, and he put on a beautiful concert during the country's War of Independence in 1948. The Philharmonic, which was all Israeli. By the way, I did an entire episode on the Philharmonic with the female director of the entire orchestra's summer concert tour, in America. So that was fascinating. So I I do know a lot about the Israeli orchestra, primarily that they were terrific, amazing, amazing musicians that had come from Europe. So he came during the War of um, Independence when Israel was in a very perilous state of affairs, and he put on a concert. Now, this was a world-class, clearly very talented Jewish musician. He played three concertos, Mozart, Beethoven, and Gershwin, to boost the high limbs of morale, to boost these soldiers' enthusiasm for what they were doing for the Jewish people. So that's a beautiful thing. Um, but back to the basics, he was a very, very prolific artist. And now we're going to find out all about him, all about his life, thanks to Bradley Cooper, who's playing him in a Hollywood film. Now, Bradley Cooper is a great actor. He is a great actor, and anyone he plays is going to feel and look authentic. Now, the question is, twofold. First of all, what do you prefer? Do you prefer watching movies where the character looks so much like the person that they're playing that that in itself is just, you know, you can't take your eyes away from it. That in itself is a major selling point for you. Or do you prefer watching an actor use his acting skills to portray another person, irrelevant of how they look or who they are? That means, do you like the idea that there is a what was it? A Black Cleopatra, I think. I think it was one of the worst rated movies on Netflix ever or in movie history. So that's a pretty good indication. I think in general, especially since we've grown up on Spielberg and digital effects and um, incredible animation and green screens and computers and all that technology. I think we mostly appreciate the efforts that Hollywood makes to transform actors into the characters that they're playing. The question becomes, when does it become a racial stereotype? When does the color of the actor's skin, the shape of their body, the size of their nose become a racial stereotype? And when it does, should we call them out for it? So that is the conversation that everyone's having, especially now that more and more people are playing famous Jews in movies. As I mentioned, Helen Mirren is playing Golda Year. She looks remarkably like her, so big win for me. I mean, if you want to complain that she looks a little thinner, a little thicker, a little shorter, a little meaner, whatever it is. Like, who cares? I, I'm just here to have a good time. I don't actually go to the movies, but hypothetically. So we have Gal Gadot playing Cleopatra, which I'm sure is going to be very easy on the eyes. Um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was played, I don't, I don't even remember at this point. And now we have Bradley Cooper playing Leonard Bernstein with a prosthetic nose. Now, I'm looking at pictures of Leonard Bernstein. I can't tell you that his nose is something that stands out as being particularly large. I mean, my grandfather had a large nose, a large Jewish nose. And Leonard Bernstein's nose was definitely smaller than his. So for people arguing that perhaps they made the nose a little too big, okay, okay, that's fair. But you know what? I don't think so. To me, it looks like they put up a big whiteboard and they put a picture of the actor and they put a picture of Bradley Cooper and they had a guy from cosmetics come in and they said, make him look more like him. And that was this guy's job. And yeah, I think he looks still like Bradley Cooper, but definitely... Has a more Jewish looking nose because Bradley Cooper doesn't look Jewish without that prosthetic nose. He just looks like a Gentile, which is cool too. But we're trying to play a role here and his Judaism is part of the role, which is cool. No issue with that. That is fine. You can play famous Jews. You should play famous Jews, actually, because there are so many terrific ones. So to get all nitty gritty about the millimeters of the size of his nose to me feels a little bit much. I mean to go as far and call it Jew face? I don't know. I don't know. This is, you know, people this is what happens when you get so caught up in stupidity that you just spiral. Everything just spirals out of control till nobody knows what's up and down. Now apparently the children of Leonard Bernstein say that they're not just happy with how Bradley Cooper portrayed their father. They love it. They said it's incredible, so why is everyone being so self-righteous on behalf of the Jews because of his nose? And I think that's a fair argument at the same time. In a world where you can't look at someone without being called a racist, why should Jews be put into a position where the whole world is invited to watch a film about a Jew with a very defined nose, which, yes, is a Jewish trope. It is a Jewish trope. A large nose is the way that our enemies, our haters, anti-Semites, Nazis, since the beginning of time, have been depicting Jews because we have nice schnozzes. We have nice honkers, and that is nothing to be embarrassed about. We have surgery today. You could fix it. It's not the end of the world. There are worst physical traits amongst people around the world, I mean, if we have to take a big nose, I'll take a big nose. It's not like going to make or break my life. But the fact of the matter is, in a world where everyone is hypersensitive, maybe they should have thought to themselves, we got to pull this off just right. Because if we make the nose a little too pronounced, perhaps we're sending a subliminal message that Jews look a certain way. They are a certain way. That's the Jew with the big nose. And they are all one. And they're one people that a lot of people don't like. Plus, they're busy with Israel and they're killing Palestinians. Like you see how that where that goes. So maybe they should have been a little more careful. On the other hand, it's just a movie, like take it or leave it. You know, I remember watching Mrs. Doubtfire, and she puts on Robin Williams puts on prosthetics to become Mrs. Doubtfire, and she's just such a caricature of what a grandmother looks like a like a dowdy, heavy. Schmalzi grandmother. I, I don't remember grandmothers getting all up in arms that they were misrepresented. To me, this seems like small potatoes on the Jew-hating scale. And it could be that people are just looking for things to talk about and to write about. But to start freaking out about the size of his nose? Listen, at the end of the day, the issue here is that the Jews are being picked on and beat up all over the place. So obviously we're going to be a little hypersensitive to the way that we're portrayed. But I think that we've been portrayed worse. (laughs) I think like unorthodoxed with Julia Hart, like that was was a bigger problem than Bradley Cooper's nose. Unfortunately, when you add it to the anti-Semitism, Kasha, it's kind of like an extra spice just to add to the flavor. So I get the argument, but at the same time, I don't personally get up in arms with this in general, for any nationality, like Purim, just dress up like how you want. Everyone just needs to chill and stop taking everything so personally. And they dressed up like me. And I just, it, which, which is so bizarre, because we live in a world where everybody is so fluid about identity. Like, maybe Bradley Cooper identifies as a Jewish nose. Like, what's it your business to tell him what he should or should feel or be or do or wear? Like, I thought we can wear and be and portray ourselves as whatever we want. I am portraying myself as an American Indian for Purim. Sue me. I'm dressing up like an Indian with all the feathers. I identify as an American Indian, as a Jew dressed up as an American Indian in a non-politically correct country for Purim. And if you don't like it, you're a racist. Besides the fact, like I said earlier, his family is thrilled. And that's really, I think, what it boils down to. It's their story to tell. And that's, you know, he's just one guy. So they put out a statement. Bradley Cooper included the three of us along every step of his amazing journey as he made his film about our father. I guess he's the producer. We were touched to the core to witness the depth of his commitment, his loving embrace of my father's music, and the sheer open hearted joy he brought to his exploration. It breaks our hearts to see any misrepresentation or misunderstandings of his efforts. It happens to be that Leonard Bernstein had a nice big nose. Bradley chose to use makeup to amplify his resemblance, and we're perfectly fine with that. We're also certain that our dad would have been fine with it as well. Any strident complaints about this issue strikes us above all as disingenuous attempts to bring a successful person down a notch, a practice we observed all too often perpetrated on our own father. At all times during the making of this film we could feel the profound respect and yes, the love that Bradley brought to his portrait of Leonard Bernstein and his wife, our mother, Felicia. We feel so fortunate to have had this experience with Bradley and we can't wait for the world to see his creation. Jamie Alexander and Nina Bernstein. Like I said, fine by me. But what do you think? Share it in the Weekly Squeeze WhatsApp group. There's a link in my show notes. It's not crazy active. Sometimes it gets a little hectic. You know, you never know what you're going to get, especially when you're, Dealing with the weekly squeeze. (laughs) The things that I don't say. That's what I should call the show. The things that I don't say. Um, In any case, join the chat and we'll share some pictures and you guys can debate it out. Should they have made us no smaller or are people just getting on the anti-Semitism bandwagon because they got nothing else to do? Let's move on to another story that has really gotten people peeved, I should say. Uh, But first, it's time to hear from one of you.
1: Hi, Hanala. Um, it's
0: Leia. You probably remember me. We were neighbors once upon a time ago
1: uh, on Montgomery um, when you were working on your first album, Believer. And I just remember hearing you practice like
2: every single day. I knew the songs by heart by the time the CD came out. And I actually still have it, the entire disc, saved on my um, iTunes. In any case, I love your
0: podcast. I just discovered it recently, and it keeps me quite entertained to and from work and picking up my daughter from day camp and all those things. And I just wanted to say thank you, thank you, thank you for the entertainment and wishing you and your family well. That is so nice. By the way, it took me a minute when you said you used to be my neighbor in Crown Heights because I lived in a few places in Crown Heights. But that is a great story. Yes, I recorded, believer on Montgomery Street with neighbors above me, underneath me, (laughs) on all sides of me, clearly hearing me hocking a cup into the late hours of the night. I'm sorry if I disturbed you, but it was a great album, so I'm not so sorry. (laughs) Just kidding, but thank you. That is great. You can leave me a speak pipe whenever you want. Just click on the link in the show notes, press record, and that's it. I'll get it, and I'll decide if I should air it or not. All right, speaking of airing things, Wow, the internet, the Jewish internet is really annoyed at a journalist, a flight attendant, and an entire row of Haredi Jews who apparently got into some sort of squabble. Now, this has not been filmed. It's just been photographed. And the photograph that was released shows a middle-aged gentleman wearing reading glasses, holding a Safer, and three young bachrim. All wearing black pants, white shirts, sits this out, velvet yarmulkes, clearly yeshiva students. Now, the journalist that's in the middle of all this is Neria Kraus. Neria Kraus is an Israeli Channel 13 journalist who is secular, very secular, and not a fan of Haredim, clearly. So what happened was, was that she sends out a tweet, and she claims that the Haredim try to make her move her seat while they were flying together on an airplane, because she's a woman. And she just went on against United Airlines and the flight attendant, who supposedly shouted at her that they're going to land the plane in Egypt if she doesn't sit down and be quiet. And she went nuts. So the question is, what happened here? (laughs) It's interesting because I was listening to halachic headlines with Rabbi Lichtenstein, and they were discussing just this. And if I remember correctly, Rabbi Lichtenstein was pressing his guest, a well-known halachic rav, and asking him, what is the bottom line? If a Jew is traveling, a man is traveling on an airplane, and he has to sit next to a woman for an extended amount of time, and it's in close quarters, let's say it's an economy, and he's side-by-side with her, it's really a problem. What does the man do? Because at the end of the day, a God-fearing Jewish man knows the impact that women have on men, because that's the way God made it. Women have an impact on men, always. I hope it never changes, because then humanity is at, you know, tremendous risk of being discontinued. And because of this, men are careful. Now, we obviously don't take it to the level where we ask women to wear hijabs like they do in Dubai, That's obviously not realistic. We're not going to be oppressive to women because God didn't insist on that. What God simply requested was that man be aware of his taivas, be aware of what he can handle and take the proper precautions so that he's not exposing himself to situations that he will find it hard to resist because he is a man with that inborn challenge. It's an extra challenge that he has. It's a mitzvah for a man to prevent himself from being in situations where he can stray from the straight and narrow. It's a mitzvah. It's something that Jewish men want to do. My brother-in-law doesn't look at women at all, not because he's oppressing women, but because he is doing the mitzvah actively of just looking at his wife so he can elevate the mitzvah of Shalom Bayis. And that's the way that works for them. And it's a beautiful thing. So let's be honest with ourselves. It is a mitzvah. For a man to be careful and prevent not being in situations where he is exposing himself to unnecessary experiences with women that are not his sister or his wife. So, when men travel, this is something to keep in mind, especially when on the road, because the road is a very, very challenging space for a married and single man. I have traveled a lot in my life, I've spent many, many hours on airplanes, in airport hotels in airport lounges, uh, waiting online. It's a very strange space. You're kind of caught between two worlds. It's not really reality. You're meeting people that you'll probably never see before. There's a feeling of adventure, of looseness, of freedom, and it's perfectly appropriate to take precautions so that you don't end up in these situations. And before we even get to the flight attendant and her Taina, which involved switching seats, that was, this is the whole issue here. The issue is that they got on board and she was asked by one of the men to switch seats. Apparently she ended up on the row with the guys. Now she's clearly Jewish. She's an Israeli journalist. Everyone knows who she is. She's not just a woman that they don't know. She knows what religious people are. I mean, it's not a, obscene to think that they asked her like do you mind maybe we could change seats just to be a little more comfortable and instead of saying okay i can respect that she had a fit and she tweeted that she was being asked to move and that they're threatening her and like she made a whole spiel out of it It was shared millions of times everybody's talking about it and now this whole conversation starts whose fault is this should from people should religious people insist that other people be inconvenient so that they can practice their religion? Or was this woman just being spiteful and making a chel hashem, knowing what's at stake for the Jewish people when stories like this go viral, but deciding to do it anyway because she was so, so humiliated and degraded by asking to change her seat. Now, because she put it on the internet, everybody chimed in. Chaim Fried says that he spoke to his friend, and it turns out he initially asked her to move so his son could sit in the same row as he and his son's friend. And she said fine, and she changed her attitude when they took off their baseball caps to reveal yarmulkes. I mean, they look from without the yarmulke, you could spot them a mile away. Um, the details are all on dansteals.com. You can go over there and you know read through the whole article. But apparently, she was livid. She tweeted out a picture. And she was arguing with the flight attendants that she's facing gender discrimination and so on and so forth. Now, back to the conversation with David Lichtenstein, with the the, uh, rabbi he was talking to on this specific issue. He was saying, what happens when a young man travels and he's alone without his wife, married, not married, and he ends up sitting next to a woman on an airplane and it's very, very, very too close for comfort. And he's uncomfortable. And he knows that no matter what, he's going to have bad thoughts. And this is putting him in a very difficult situation. And he literally cannot sit next to this woman because it would just be an avera. It would cause him to sin. What should he do? And he was pressing the rabbi to answer. And the rabbi was really struggling to give him a straight answer because it's a very challenging question. Because on the one hand, if it's mamish a challenge for him to sit next to a woman, then he shouldn't sit next to a woman. On the other hand, how do you tell someone else to move on an airplane where they paid for a seat in real life? Like not everybody's religious. Most people are not religious. Most people know nothing about this. So is it a chel Hashem when you start asking people and when you ask someone on an airplane to change a seat, you're not really asking. You're saying like this is what needs to be done. I once sat next to someone who smelled like they were left out in the sun to rot. Seriously, must have been homeless or I don't know what. And I, it was suffocating, but there was nowhere for me to switch seats. And the flight attendant felt awful because when you fly, you want a good or decent experience. So the flight attendant's going to try to be accommodating to religious people, especially when they're dressed religious. And that's fine because an Arab might want this or that. Who knows? We try to live like civilized human beings and accommodate each other. But we don't have to. That's the bottom line. We don't have to. We can say no. And in that case, my opinion is, my opinion is that if you do not want to sit next to a woman, may finite. fly business. Fly business. Otherwise, don't fly. That's it. If you know that you cannot sit next to a woman on an airplane, buy the seat next to you, fly business, or don't fly at all. So the fact that he asked his son to switch seats with her, that's fine. He did it respectfully. The fact that she had a fit... That's not nice. It's really not nice. It could be that she felt peeved. And I've been on buses and I've been asked to move back and I'm simply like, nope. And this week, a a video went viral here in Israel um, of a bus driver berating two girls for not moving to the back and yelling at them. He said, this is not a free country. This is not a democracy. This is my bus. And men sit in the front and women sit on the back. And he wasn't even a from bus driver. That was just the policy and the people were complaining and whatever it is, that's a whole separate conversation. But I've declined and I know my rights and I don't have to sit on the back of the bus. And she didn't have to move either. But she certainly didn't have to tweet something so unnice, something so negative, something so damaging to from people Haredim's reputation and to portray them as devout extremists, fundamentalists who refuse to sit next to a woman. I am fairly certain that these people would have sat next to her, maybe not comfortably, but would have sat next to her if she refused to move and said, no, you know, I really want this seat. I actually saw another clip this week of a bus here in Israel where Haredim were sitting, and there are non-religious Israeli women on the bus screeching on top of their lungs, shalom aleichem, while these Hasidish guys are squirming in their chairs, covering their ears because they don't listen to women singing. And these women know it, but they're deciding on public transportation to put these guys in a situation that will make them highly uncomfortable, absolutely disrespecting their space because you don't have to sing on a bus. Yes, legally you can sing on a bus, but you don't have to sing in a bus. And part of living in a society where we can all coexist is respecting religious people and vice versa. It goes both ways. It goes both ways. So don't get up all in arms because somebody asks you to switch a seat. You know the mentality. You know the hashgafa. You know how this works. We're not asking you to put a chador on your face. We're not asking you to go sit on the back of the airplane. We're not taking a picture of you and calling you bad names. We're just asking you, if possible, maybe you can switch one row back or front so that my son can sit here next to his friend and me. But to make a whole spiel out of it? So much bad behavior. Shemishmar. All right, before I get to my guest, I loved my guest. I love all my guests, but I just also love this one. Some positive news from the land of Israel. 215 U.S. Canadian Olim come to Aliyah on their Nefesh Benefesh charter flights. I actually also came to Israel six years ago this week in August, and all I could say is it's been six wonderful years that I highly recommend. And I am thrilled to celebrate my sixth year with a brand new vacuum cleaner. But more about that in a second. The charter flight had 22 families, 75 children, 15 single men, 17 retirees. The youngest, Ole, was four months old. The oldest was 77. I actually saw a photo, which I shared on my Instagram page, my beautiful land of Israel, of a 100-year-old woman who made Aliyah this month as well. So that is beautiful. Seven doctors, 15 healthcare professionals, Will be integrating into the Israeli medical system and a bunch more talented people ready to take on their new life here. So beautiful. So happy that our country is blooming and growing. I went to a meeting this week to speak with the mayor of Beit Shemesh, Elisa Blach, to discuss some of the things that we need to fix before we can get on to campaigning for her reelection. And um, I am proud to be here and to be supporting this country, this land and the economy with the purchase of my brand new Dyson V15 vacuum. Now, let me just share the story before I wrap up (laughs) this segment of the show. I went to buy a new vacuum this week because I have a dog, and my dog sheds a lot. I also have three girls, and my girls shed a lot. That's just the fact of the matter. And at some point, no matter how many brooms, and I have two great ones from Florida, from Publix, that my husband brings me, two great brooms that are slanted just the way I like them, um... No matter how much I sweep, it's just never enough. Because there's also sandstorms. I mean, that's just the reality here in this country. So when we made Aliyah, I got myself a Dyson Big Ball, the best, most expensive vacuum cleaner that you could possibly get. And I absolutely loved it. And I used it three times a day. I literally used that vacuum three times a day. It was heavy. It was big. It had a cord. But I didn't care. That vacuum was attached to my arm. But it didn't come with a kickstand. It didn't come with a kickstand, and every single time I leaned it on the wall, it would fall over, and eventually it cracked so many times, and then it stopped working. So I was vacuumless since I got my dog, and I've been suffering. I literally have calluses from sweeping the floor here in this hair hole. That's what I call it, a hair hole, full of hair and fur and all that stuff. So that's why I was thrilled when my husband said, let's go get a vacuum. So of course, I come into the store, and immediately I'm like, give me the cheapest vacuum. That's just the way I am. Like, Give me the cheapest vacuum that you have, any model. It's all good. But this is Israel and his job is to sell me up. So he's like, hang on, hang on, one second. He's like, Don't even waste your time. The best vacuum is the Dyson. We have a brand new model here. And he proceeds to whip it out and unload the, you know, trash the uh, container and to show me all the tricks and show me how it has a special knee that you can flip around the stick and go under the couch and it has a light and it has a, it's very light and it's just remarkable and it's six thousand shekel or whatever. So I'm like hemming and hawing and I'm thinking at the end of the day, there's a reason why these vacuums are expensive. It's because they're good and they recognize all the shortcomings of all the other vacuums that people complain about and they make a great product that you can use comfortably. And I'm not one for details. I just want the vacuum to work every single time I use it to empty easily and to suck things up. That's all I want. And I want it to be there when I need it. So yeah, he convinces me that this is the one I'm going to need. So I make the mental decision that we're probably going to go with this one. And I overhear the the, the seller, the salesman, <laughs> tell another salesman, mi bala. B- b- you know where a husband is. And they start talking. And they say, what? oh, he's the guy. He's Daniel. The sound guy he has the Skoda. And then he says, he only buys the best. He only buys the best. He's only going to take the best model. So, yeah, I saw like the money signs like ka-ching in the guy's eyes. My husband comes in. And he looks at the prices and he goes, why do you need such a, big, why do you need such a fancy vacuum? Like, just, we'll just get a regular vacuum. And then I'm like, okay, but one second, let's just look at this one. And then I like quickly snap. I call the sales guy over. He does the whole spiel. He unloads it. He shows how it spins around. My husband says, Bes- beset- t- fine, we're taking it. Beset- though. We're taking the, the vacuum. We take the vacuum. I bring it home. I unbox it. And it's not the vacuum that he showed me in the store. It doesn't have a swiveling knee. It doesn't have a laser light. Like I felt chipped. Don't get me wrong. It's a great vacuum and it's already hung up on the wall and I vacuumed my house 16 times since I got it. But all I'm saying is that it didn't have the parts that he showed me in the store. So my husband went back and basically he was like, well, it is the newest model, but it's not the newest model that they have everywhere else in the world. <laughs> in in the newest model here in Israel, you only get the basic parts. And my husband was like, say what? He comes home, he's holding the knee, the extension that makes the vacuum Flex underneath the couch, and he's like, "You have no idea how much I had to yell to get you this." (laughs) Ah, Only in Israel, anyway. My point is that if you make Aliyah, get the best vacuum you could afford. The last thing I want to say, after having a dog for three months now, how lucky are we that we are not dogs? How lucky are we? And that's what I think about when I put my dog in her crate. She's adorable. She's cute. There's something very human-like about her. Her eyes make you feel like she's really listening, and she gets it. And it's been remarkable to spend time with one of Hashem's most beautiful creatures. I mean, dogs are exquisite. Her fur is beautiful. Her teeth are perfect. Her eyes, I mean, she's just an exquisite animal. She's quicker than me. She hears things faster than I am. She's more agile, that's for sure. And she's just, you know, the way people treat dogs, it's amazing that they don't bite us more. People are like, oh my God, does she bite? I'm like, she should. Seriously, my husband, like, my, my kid just comes up to her from behind and, like, hugs her. Like, dogs don't like hugs, but they will put up with it. For what? For a bone. Like, no matter what we do for her, how many toys, the size of her crate, the quality of her walks, <laughs> the deliciousness of her kosher raw food diet, all she wants is a bone. That's the only thing she wants. Give her a bone and she is happy. She doesn't need to say Shema. She doesn't need to bench. She doesn't need to say thank you. She doesn't need to do anything. She just needs to chew on a bone. And that's fine. She is fulfilling her purpose on this earth. We, on the other hand, have to do all these things like a 15-step morning routine. But how can we complain? Because we can do it. Would you want to be a dog? Would you want to spend your time chewing on a bone? I promise you that's all that makes them happy. Or that's mostly what makes them happy. I tell my kids, you're so lucky you're not a dog. You're so lucky that you get to serve Hashem with all your capacity, that you can use words, that you can use your seichel, you could use your brain, you can use your hands, that you don't have paws, (laughs) that you can be a good person, that you can give to others. Dogs can't do any of that. How lucky are we to be able to serve Hashem and to be human beings? Because human beings are a beautiful, beautiful reflection of the talent, the creativity, the complexity and the holiness and perfectness of our creator. And that's my spiel. Okay, moving on to my guest today, Orly Waba. She is amazing. She is so determined to bring you her product, which is so much more than a product. I'm looking at it now. It is a magnificent, shiny, copper Nittilasia dime cup that has a deep, meaningful significance in our lives. A copper cup that's taking me mitzvah of Natila yadayim of washing your hands in the morning, to the next level. And she's doing it with style. She's doing it with class. And she's doing it with determination to get a copper Natila yadayim cup into every single holy gravesite here in the land of Israel. I love her message. I love what she stands for. I love this particular mitzvah, and I think it's an important one. So without further ado, the brainchild and CEO of Natila.com, Orly Waba. Orly, welcome to the Weekly Squeeze. So glad that you are here. Thank you so much. It's really an honor to I'm be here. I'm excited to talk about this. You are the CEO of Natila.com, and your goal, from what I understand, is to have a very special washing cup at every holy grave site and in every Jewish home. And you're doing it with copper. 100% copper. So let's talk about the mitzvah of Natila yadayim. I want to talk about the campaign and the blessings that you've personally seen hand washing bring into people's lives. So if we hit all those topics, I'll be thrilled. And uh, yeah, ready, set, you know how to talk. Ready, set, go. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, first of all, our yes, our goal definitely is to get the Natila cup, specifically copper, and there are reasons we have sources from Torah, from Gemara, from Kabbalah, into the homes in every Jewish home. But more than that, you know, there are people that have Natila cups they are saying, oh, really, I'm good. I'm covered. I got the Natila cup. It's sitting there. You know, I, I use it or some people may not use it, but it's much more than that. You know, when you're used to doing something, the big danger is that it becomes something you're doing by rote. You know, you just check it off the list. All right, I have to run to the next thing. Okay, that's check. Done. However, more than anything, more than doing the actual mitzvah, just actually going through the motions, is the intentions that you have when you're going through those motions. That's what brings everything to life.
0: Intent is the name of the game. And when it becomes rote, the mitzvah could be fulfilled, but are we actually connecting? So that's exactly. what's special about this. I just want to stop you for one second. I'm going to edit this out. It's now. Sure. I have a Zoom now. Let, then leave her there. Thank you. All right, we have a new puppy. <laughs> We're training.
2: <laughs> oh, that's very. But that's cute. actually. Oh,
0: I want to talk about spirituality and purification because. You know, that, that's something that Jews assume is just when they wake up in the morning and just for eating bread. But really, purification and washing and hand washing, at after we touch animals, it's so part of the Jewish life. It should not be underestimated. I mean, it's literally the first mitzvah we do when we wake up. It's the first yes. thing that we do is we wash our hands. But I can't afford a big, fancy silver washing cup. And a plastic cup just doesn't do the mitzvah
2: justice. 100%. And I mean, that, that's one one of the goals when we were setting out to do this, was to make this affordable, while at the same time bringing something that has purity into the home. Because as we know, in the Mishkan, when when God commanded Moshe to make the Kiora in the Mishkan, and then eventually it also went over to the Bet HaMikdash, obviously, he didn't select gold, he didn't select silver, he selected specifically copper. He was very specific, Nechoshet. So the question is, well, why? Why copper? The other thing is that Yam Shlomo, okay, in the Beth HaMikdash, in the first Beth HaMikdash, Shlomo Melech made this basin that stood on uh, 12, you know, ox that were also made of copper, and the basin was copper, that the Qanim would immerse into before doing the holiest work that you can possibly do.
0: Right. And so again, we have on. this
2: question. Why copper and water? What is this connection? Why does it make a difference? Because nothing Why that Hashem is right. Because it?
0: nothing Hashem does or commands is insignificant. Everything has significance. A- one hundred percent.
2: Everything has a, a reason, and the reason is because copper. First of all, number one, the element of copper is a natural antibacterial. They used to actually make doorknobs in hospitals from copper to prevent the spread of germs. But copper has a very healing quality to it. That's why you'll hear a lot of people talk about drinking from copper cups. Now, again, this is full copper and it's raw copper. It's not something that's copper plated because the element of copper uh, promotes healing. Uh, and many there's there's so many details and so many uh, so many facts about copper. I won't get into all of that now because right. I want to really. I talk googled about it. I self. googled
0: it, and right away it's like a, a very wondrous mineral that Hashem created. And cleanliness is next to godliness, so it's right hundred percent by side.
2: Yeah, hundred percent. So the, the concept of copper is why do we do natila we do it in order to remove a spiritual impurity. I mean, this is not like a physical dirt that you see. Okay, I'll just take some soap and rub my hands. No, it's, it's a spiritual impurity, and we're spiritually cleansing our hands. But we know that, you know, tum'ah, impurity, can cling to anything alive. And water is ma'im chayim. It is alive. So, when you put water into a regular cup, it's not that you're not doing Natila a diamond. I always stress, and it's very important that I say, I am not saying if you don't do Natila with this cup, you're not doing Natila. No, that is not what I'm saying. Okay, for me, even if a person simply puts more emphasis in their mitzvah and brings more kavanah and intention, that's huge. But why are we talking about copper? Because it is a hidur mitzvah. It is elevating your mitzvah. Why? So when you put water into a cup, we know that the tum'ah can cling to anything that is alive and water is alive. When water touches copper, the copper itself neutralizes the water. Meaning now the tum'ah is not able to cling to it. So when we're pouring the waters on our hand, we're actually drawing down to ourselves the full gamut of bracha, the full gamut of blessing that God has intended for us, it's which is why mitzvah. the last, yes, the last thing that the water touches before it hits the khanim's hands, it was copper. And we know that, you know, when our hands are purified and sanctified, we will infuse this purity and sanctification to everything we touch. And what do we use our hands for? We use it for everything. We use it to take care of our kids and to prepare our food and to do our work for our panasa, for our prosperity. So we have to be very, very mindful of also infusing that purity and sanctification into our hands. But more than that, sometimes we use our hands for the wrong things. And so when we're pouring the water and we use copper, you should know that in the, in the Kabbalah, it says that copper represents rachamim, represents mercy. Because when we do things that are wrong with our hands, and when we're pouring the water from copper, and water is bracha, we're basically asking Hashem for rachamim on our hands. For the things that we've done, and we've made mistakes, but to continue to bet on us, irregardless of that. That the next things that we do with our hands, that they'll be positive, that they'll be for the good.
0: Well, the purification Uh, process is a renewal every time, so it's a reconnection to Hashem we're offering ourselves in our most committed and pure way. We're going to start again, and we're going to hopefully stay on the straight and narrow and serve you and be close to you. And every time we wash, we recommit. Yes. So and, that's why the mitzvah and think is so about powerful. how many times
2: we wash a day. It's not just when we get up in the morning, and it's not just before we have bread. Every time a person goes to the restroom and you come out, you do netilah. Now, you do it without a bracha. So there are different ways to do netilah. The netilah in the morning is different than than the netilah before bread. Is different than after coming out of the bathroom or going to the to, to a cemetery or even but cutting blessing or no blessing.
0: They're equally important. A
2: hundred percent, a hundred percent. They're equally right. important. I, I saw an article. I, I wish I could remember exactly which incident this was. I cannot right at this moment. That there was a rabbi speaking about the the netilah that we do right after coming out of the out of the bathroom, and how it's very much meant to save us from. Uh, from tragedies, from unexpected tragedies. And there was a story about, this happened just this past year, I, w- I wish I could remember the source of it, but there's a story that happened this past year that there was a man that ended up taking on this specific mitzvah of doing netila, uh, coming out of the restroom. And he was involved in some sort of a terrorist attack and was saved in the most miraculous way. And he attested it to him doing netilah yadaim, which is a shemira, it brings protection uh, for the for the person.
0: Right, so keeping the mitzvah provides a spiritual and physical self-preservation. Yes, it's in our own best interest to pursue, acting upon this mitzvah with great sincerity and hiddur, also hiddur mitzvah, and that's why, by the way, you go on your Instagram account, and I'm like scrolling, and like I'm like I need this cup right now. <laughs> now I saw the cup at a Beit Shemesh, like one of those fairs where people oh, sell yes. things. I saw it and I, and I really, really wanted it. I knew at that minute that I wanted it, but my kids were around and it was hectic and I don't know if they had enough cash on me. I don't remember what it was, but I remember thinking that is beautiful. First of all, it just illuminates your kitchen. And second of all, we do at this point, hopefully know a little bit about copper and it's a hush of a metal. Yes. So what better way to do the mitzvah? But I want to even talk more about this campaign that you've taken on, A, to promote your message, but B, ultimately to provide this Top quality mitzvah, um, way of doing the mitzvah at every holy gravesite in the world, hopefully. And so, so, so tell us a little Hashem. bit about where your cups are, how people can, you know, participate in this mitzvah, where Jews from around the world are washing their hands with copper before they, uh, you know, have that interaction with the tzaddik that they're coming to pray um, on behalf of.
2: Well, I have to say, I, you know, the way that this began. It was really min ha Shamaim in such a big way. I, w- I was actually praying on it. I said, I want to be able to gift this to various holy places. Now, I go to the Kotel regularly. I've done 40 days at the Kotel several times. It's my favorite place. And when I was there, I saw that they had this new installation that they were putting on the women's section, place where people can pray. And I went and I asked them, wow, this is amazing. What is this? I said, can I ask you a question? I asked some random person, Okay that I saw, you know, wearing a shirt that they work by the Kotel area. I said, who is in charge of the washing stations? He said, me. I said, you? He said, me. I said, you have to be joking. I said, listen, I want to do something very special here. I want to be able to bring copper, natila cups to the Kotel, just like as we had at the Bet HaMikdash with the Kiyor. I want to bring the Choshet back here. And I showed it to him. He loved it. And we started with the Kotel. So we have our cups at the Kotel. And again, even though we have cups that are there, people can also get a cup at the cocktail because we have to change these out every so often. Imagine there are millions of people that visit the cocktail. Yeah, I was gonna ask you, tell me about the quality of the cup itself. Is yeah. it heavy? Does it jump so quickly?
0: I saw the video where you showed how the inside is raw copper. So explain a little bit about the physical.
2: Yeah, yeah. The that, the cup itself, I'm just I I mean, I'm just gonna show you because um, you know, just so you can the cup itself, the whole cup is hundred percent copper. The entire gorgeous. But the inside of the cup is raw copper. I, I bring this up for a very specific reason. The whole thing that I spoke about with the water touching the copper—that means that it needs to touch specifically the raw copper, not a lacquer that's on top of the cup. Now, on the outside, we put a lacquer, which, as you can see, it's very, it's very shiny. Glossy. Mm-hmm. The inside does not have that gloss; it's matte because this is raw copper, solely because we would we want this specific, you know, uh, uh, reaction to occur where the water is touching the raw copper, which means that the inside will get dark. Okay, I have my cup for five years. It, it's like a beautiful patina. I I personally like it. However, I mean, it has, it's
0: a natural element. It's a natural it element,
2: exactly. Now, it, it doesn't mean that it's getting bad or anything like that. However, I always tell people in the Gemara, it says that Hashem compares B'nai Israel to copper. Because even though we sometimes, uh, you know, darken our nishamot with chataim, with, with sins, we're very easy to clean like copper. If you take a piece of lemon, you cut it in half, and you dip it in salt, and you rub the inside, it will it will become clean right away. However,
0: say. Even with my copper pot, I have one copper that pot. Anything that you have copper.
2: The first time copper, I used
0: it, I burn everything. The first time I used it, of course, the whole pot discolored, and then all these years later, it's my favorite pot, but it, you know, it doesn't look copper well, anymore. Well, number one,
2: <laughs> it's going to continue to happen. I always tell people, I say, I don't know how much worth it, it is for you to do it because... If you're actually using the Netilah cup, it will continue to happen. So naturally. buy one to just look at, and buy one to to use in the water. <laughs> I would say, look, I think it's I think it's a beautiful thing. You know, the, it's when a when the side has piece, especially
0: the engraving, and, and talk about yes, the engraving. Yeah, we actually so, so you, got do, you got them at the kotel. You got what? them at the kotel. Got them at the
2: kotel, and then I, I. So for me, whenever my family would come to to Israel every year, we would come every summer. We always had a day that we would do Kivret adikim. We would go to so, so many Kivret adikim, and the, the 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 kever that is the most connected to our family is the kever of Rabbi Mir Balhanes. Many many stories that took place there from, from members of my family, and I was at the kever of Rabbi Mir Balhanes. I said, "Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do the same thing I did at the kotel, which is doing what? It's asking a question. That's it. And I asked." Who's in charge here? The Natila stations. I let them know what we're looking to do, and every kever I went to from then on was very excited. Currently, we have them at Rabbi Balanes. We have them. I'm going this week to Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. We have already the cups allocated for Rabbi Akiva, kever Rachel. We just brought them there. David Melech. We're now doing ke- uh, the kever of Rabbi Nachman of Breslov. We have Shmuel Navi. We're doing. We're doing Shimon Hatzadik. When you say we're doing,
0: you mean you're engraving the cups and... and
2: Yes, essentially what happens is a person can dedicate a cup. Okay, so let's say there is a specific tzaddik that you very much connect with. So you have the ability to dedicate a cup and that cup will go to that specific hever with engraving. I now, love certain, that. So like at certain, the
0: Mabitcher Rebbe's oil, there could be like 10 of them from Chassidim. Ex, you just want you know, exactly. to... Exactly. I love that. And you
2: could, whether you write, if it's lilui nishmat, whether it's for Fawash for Zibug, for Parnassa, whatever it may be that you're wanting to write it for, the engraving will be on the cup. Some locations request engraving on the bottom of the cup, like the Kotel. And some um, are okay with the engraving being on the front of the cup, like... For example, the kever of Rabbi Nachman or Rabbi Akiva, uh, it, it it fully depends. But you receive up to ten words of engraving. You can of course do more, but you receive up to ten words. We take photos of the cup. We bring them to the location. We also do a video at the location, talking about that specific tzaddik or or or, or, or the person that is you know specifically buried there, and the message and their lesson to us. Because going to a kever, it's not you're not praying to the tzaddik. Okay, you're basically, you're praying to God and you're utilizing the zakhut of that tzaddik, that merit of that that righteous person to help your prayers go even further. But more than that, when we go to a kever, I always say, it's about connecting to the lesson and the message of that specific person. What did that person represent? What was the lesson, the, the message that they wanted to give to the world? We're going there to soak in that lesson, to be able to take that into our hearts. And that as we're leaving, and a lot of this happened because I was going to these Kivarim and they had these like filthy plastic cups that were. It, it was it was terrible that a person wouldn't even want to pick it up. And you're doing ritual purity. I said, "There's no way we can do this. We must bring these. We must bring these nitilah cups to as many of the holy places that we can possibly bring." And we're providing people with an opportunity, not only to get their cup there with their engraving, but the proceeds from this project are going towards. Uh, refurbishing washing stations at many of these places. We're right now in the midst of doing this at the Kever of Rabbi Akiva, where the the, the washing stations were completely broken, the water is not working, nothing is, and we're now going to be redoing the washing station and then placing the cups there. So you're really part of a mitzvah that's not just your doing, but it's a mitzvah that hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people that come to a lot of these locations, the Kever of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, you think about how many people go there on an annual basis. And every time that they're using the Kli, every time that they're using the Natila cup, that is a merit, that is a hoot for you and for your loved ones that dedicated a cup. It's a tremendous thing. Uh, and, and right now we're focusing on a couple of kevarim. We're focusing on the kever of Rambam. We're focusing on the kever of Shemuel Hanavi, that they just refurbished right now the washing stations there. And we're also focusing on the kever of Rabbi Nachman of Breslov, and we're hoping to get all of these kivareim uh, completed before the hagim, before the holidays. Uh, so, so that when people come to visit, they can see their their cups and exactly, the washing stations. That's a time where there's always a lot of visitors, especially during Sukkot, uh, during Chol time. Many people are traveling to these various holy sites and that is our that is our goal right now but essentially a peop- if a person is getting this for themselves they have the ability to engrave anything whether it's a pasuk a blessing whether it is you know a family name it's a beautiful people-
0: gift yeah it's a beautiful oh. gift i want to i want to ask yeah. a few more questions
2: just to go back um to the kiyar
0: in the Mishkan and base migdash we remind people where the copper mirrors came from. Remind I was my audience ju- where they I'm came so from. I'm so
2: happy that you asked that question. As we know, this came from the women. As we were leaving Mitraim, the whole concept, the women that were giving over of their materials in order to to beautify, right? They would beautify themselves because even though there was this gzera, there was this decree that the children would be uh, would be killed. That they would be there was a danger. The women understood. They saw ahead. They weren't looking at the here and now. They understood that continuing to bring children into the world was important, that we could not allow a decree of this nature prevent us from stopping the Jewish lineage. And the whole concept of the copper, right? When you look at this, what can you see? You can, you know, I always say when I take pictures, I always end up seeing myself. Well, it's because there's a reason. The copper actually is showing us a reflection of ourselves, all right, so they were using this in order, the copper mirrors, in order to beautify themselves. But also when we are doing Niti lati adam, every time we stand to do Niti lati adam, we are talking about having the proper intention. Not only that we're pouring the barakah into our hands and to fill it, fill it all the way. It's a one liter of water could fit in here and to cover our hands fully, but that we see our reflection. And it is a time, it is an opportunity for reflection, to take pause and to reflect on who is this person that's looking back at me? Is, is this the person I want to be? To ask ourselves those questions, it's not easy always to look in the mirror and to ask ourselves these questions, but it's very important that we take those moments and to say, am I am I going in the direction I want to be going in? Am I building up my character in the way that I want to be doing so? And having these little moments of pause, it's not just on Shabbat when we take it, when we have a day off and it's a day of reflection. Think about how many times you're doing a tila. Imagine if you incorporate these little tiny Drops of Shabbatot. Every time that you do Netila, it's like you're having a moment of reflection, just like Shabbat. Who am I? How has the day been going so far? Am I am I keeping my emotions in check? Am I acting in the proper way that I want to be, that I want to be known for? And then to take upon ourselves, you know, uh, uh, in a sense saying, okay, the, the, over the next few hours, I'm going to do it right. And then we have again another another uh, instance of doing a tila that we're able to really reflect and uh, self evaluate. And I think that that's a very, very important thing. Um, I mean, that
0: is the thing. I know my mother's listening, saying, yes, it's just brilliant psychology and a mitzvah. And, and why isn't every single Kala getting a, a copper cup with the, the husband's name on it on the wedding date? It's like such
2: a beautiful present. I, I'm thrilled about this. And especially, I mean, in terms of Chatan and Kala and coming together, this is such a tremendous level of purity. And we know that there is purity right built into a marriage, a woman going and, and, and purifying herself on a, on a regular basis on a monthly basis. I mean, purity, ritual purity is a very, very big part of Jewish culture and tradition. And it's, and it's, but there's also a depth to it. It's not just something that we do. And again, Everything is about our mindset as we're doing it. So, if as you're pouring the water onto your hands and you're doing the tila, you're thinking of the bracha. The water is the bracha. You're you're asking Hashem to bring you that bracha. And as you're doing it with copper, asking Hashem to bring you that rachamim, that mercy for the things maybe that you've made mistakes on. You you change you shift things. You know what changes a cup filled with grape juice into kiddush? What is the concept of kiddusha? Kiddushah simply means to separate. It doesn't mean holy. It's the fact that we're separating, that we make something holy. So what changes, what shifts just the cup with two handles into a Nittila cup, into a spiritual vessel, is your intention as you're doing it. Uh, it's such a key component. And maybe it's not easy, but even if you start with one thing, or even knowing how to do the nitila properly, Right. Knowing that in the morning, it's alternate alternating between hands. Before bread, it's, you know, three and three or two and two, depending on if you're Sephardic or Ashkenaz. Just knowing and learning a little bit more of the halachot. And if you're already doing it to do it properly, wow. It, it's, it's it's amazing uh, the, the blessings you can bring into your life. And I've heard some crazy stories about it. You know, people sharing how doing the tilat yadaim has opened things up in their life, whether it be for healing, yeah, go ahead.
0: Sorry. No, 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 no. I'm just I'm saying as far as stories go, I mean, our history is rich with stories of about washing hands or and water. And, and that process has saved lives, changed lives. I mean, it, it, it's all perfectly clear. You don't have to even convince people listening. Everyone's like, yes, I know. And for some reason, this wasn't maybe taught to me or something that was instilled in me. And I'm so glad that Orly's here. In 2023, finally to help us remember how important this particular mitzvah is. So I just love it. And I know you are the CEO and you are manufacturing these. Hashem, cups. Hashem is the CEO. I just work for him. <laughs> I love that. Exactly. Hashem's the boss and I'm his publicist. So, <laughs> so tell us a little bit about where the cups are pro- um, produced, manufactured, how people could get their hands on them, how fast an order comes through, you know, how they can participate in this important mitzvah, send them as gifts. And then I'll put a link in the show notes and um, yeah, we'll get some, yeah, we'll get some cups so out first,
2: there. first off you can, you can get the cups and you can also learn more. I encourage you to learn more uh, by going to com. We have information there about why copper about the mitzvah of Nittilah, how to properly perform the mitzvah of Nittilah, endorsements from our, our arabanim.
0: Yeah. I listened to the one with Rav Arush. I love him. He's he's I'll so, tell you yeah, the, the, the
2: it was the class uh, the class with um, Rav Brody who actually translates the books of Rav Arush. Right, right, right. Brody,
0: right, His right, right, right. class. Psycho, he's a psychotherapist or a psychoanalyst. Wow, yes,
2: yes. Yes, His, his class blew me away. We offer classes that we do generally before Chagim. We have all of them also available on our YouTube channel so that you can learn more. And of course, you can purchase directly on the website. You have the ability to also purchase there with engraving. Um, and you can engrave anything. You can also engrave a design on the cup. We also have you links. You can put a logo? You, you can put a logo on it. Yes, great. you can put a logo. We did. We actually just did uh, the Brussel logo. You know the fire? Mm-hmm. The, the, sure. the ish, mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, so people just purchase that we have, we have a lot of people that are, are very into getting those. I'm thinking about different- my like Hanala music brand,
0: <laughs> the weekly yes. squeeze podcast. No, just, yeah. Kidding. It's kind no, of for but- self-reflection, but I would definitely put my family's name or, you know, something, a, a pus look from Tehillim that would inspire me. I love
2: it. Yeah. People will put pis from different things connected to water or connected to purity. Uh, it, it's it really everything and anything is possible. Had somebody put a skyline of Jerusalem, we engraved the skyline of Jerusalem on it, it. Really, it can be absolutely anything, and it makes for a beautiful gift. Where are, are you shipping also, out from? Where
0: are you shipping we ship out? out?
2: From? Great question. So I'm here in Israel. So originally, when I started this company, I wasn't in Israel yet. It was literally, I would say, six months before I moved to Israel. I didn't know I was moving you know, so all of our, our, our main stock is in the U S is in New York. So I, they, I ship out from the States, uh, depending on where you're from, it'll go either from there. So it gets there the fastest, but I also ship out obviously from Israel. If you're purchasing them in Israel, you'll get it within a day. We have a delivery service that gets it to wow. you within a 24 hour period. Wow. If you're engraving it, it'll probably take an extra day as we'll need to get them engraved and outside of Israel, we ship all over, all over the world. Uh, you know, depending on where you are, it'll either come from the U.S. or it'll come from uh, it'll come from Israel. And the beautiful thing is, it comes in a gorgeous box, so it makes for a beautiful, beautiful gift. If you have employees that you want to
0: buy a, a present before Chag, you know, or give along with a check, or there's just or teachers, a teacher's gift for, for I the was end saying of the school that yeah. uh, to me.
2: I was I remember as a teacher, you know, they would give us during the Chagim, you know, maybe a, a bouquet of flowers and a wine, which. Which doesn't have, you know, it. It's very nice, but you know, you Use put it. it down. And it's gone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This, you're per, you're gifting a mitzvah for life and a gift for life. That I always tell, you know, we ha- we're working with organizations that give gifts to their whether it be their VIP donors or whether for gala events, whether for their staff members, and they put they can put their logo on it. And every time the person is going to be using that or put a family name on it, they're going to be thinking about that entity, that organization. It's actually, you're providing somebody with a mitzvah, which provides you with merit. And in the box itself that it comes in, there is a pamphlet that has all of the sources talking about its connection to healing. Like we know several to ago, the nachash, nechoshet, that there was a plague and Moshe created the snake of copper. Right. So it's connected to healing. It's connected to fertility. Okay, it's connected to shalom bayit and parnasam, bringing prosperity into our lives. The concept of nechoshet, of copper. And so inside the box, it shares all of this. It shares how to do the mitzvah of the spiritual benefits, the health benefits. It's all there for you so that when you gift it to somebody, you're not just gifting them a product, but you're gifting them a spiritual vessel that they can learn now about and incorporate into their own lives.
0: Wow. That is fantastic. Girl, I don't have anything to add. I am sold hook, line and sinker and I am and I'm just impressed and inspired by your enthusiasm for such an important mitzvah so i appreciate that thank you for taking time to share your message and to make it available for us and i will put the links in the show notes and that way people can reach out to you and find out more you also
2: have my whatsapp number you can reach out to me directly and again for the kivretz adikim we have a separate link with which i think i sent your way uh hopefully it'll be on the website soon but right now it's just a separate link
0: yeah and by the way i know people are thinking how much does this cost I can assure you it's quite affordable. I was very yes. pleasantly surprised. Like you could just buy a couple of them and not break the bank.
2: Yeah, it's $75 to, to purchase the cup. Uh, the cost actually may be going up very shortly because the cost of copper has gone up, but it's going to remain in the affordable, uh, very, very, very much affordable. And Fantastic. it's something that will last you, you know, uh, as opposed to people getting these plastic cups. Get, I mean, it's you're making a mitzvah. So you want to And really also you can drink. never
0: have enough cups. Like, so what if somebody has already sixteen cups? Now they're gonna have this cup. <laughs> like it's, it's a present can you can't go special. wrong.
2: hundred percent. It's 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 an amazing gift. Like I said, it's not just a gift, it's also a mitzvah for life that you're providing to somebody. Orly, you are a gift. Have a wonderful oh, day.
0: You. Have a wonderful day. I'll put links and uh Tiskila mitzvahis.
2: Thank you so much.
0: So there you have it, episode one hundred and thirty two of the weekly squeeze podcast please leave me a five-star review and let your friends know that you are listening to the weekly squeeze. Maybe they've never heard of the show. Crazy as that sounds. Don't forget to order a bottle of Queen Tulsi. Leave me a speak pipe if you have any thoughts. Join the weekly squeeze WhatsApp group and I will see you on Monday.